It was a seven-month scorched-earth strategy that led Pierre Polyev to the top spot in the Conservative Party as leader. Can he turn that into a federal election victory? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. From the, mem- the member from Carleton was first in the race and had an insurmountable lead he would not relinquish. Almost 70% of members supported him, giving a first valid victory. And let's face it, Polyev was in control from the outset, drawing big crowds and training his eye not only on the other contenders, but of course, the prime minister as well. Our unpublished media poll asked, can a Pierre Polyev-led Conservative Party win the next federal election? And over three quarters feel yes. Just over 20% said no, and two and a half were unsure. However you're watching or listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic this topic at Unpublished Vote, and then email your MP to tell them why. It's our new portal for political discussion and debate. Joining us to discuss the leadership campaign and where this leads to conservatives, I'm pleased to be joined by Daryl Bricker, CEO with Ipsos Public Affairs, Warren Kinsella, political commentator, former advisor to Prime Minister Sean Kretschian, Laurie Turnbull is the director in the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University, and Gary Keller is with Strategy Corp and former chief of staff to John Baird and Ronna Ambrose. And Daryl, in your eyes, was there ever any doubt about the results on Saturday night? Uh, no. I mean, we, there, there was no evidence through the course of this entire campaign that there was actually a campaign happening. I mean, every time everybody would start to talk about this idea of a, you know, a battle for the, for the soul of the Conservative Party or whatever, it was like, folks, you know, that battle took place in probably 2002, 2003, all the way back to 1993. I mean, that, that idea that there was this, you know, winning coalition of moderate conservatives out there that was only waiting for its champion to emerge is, is really, I think, uh, uh, a hyperactive part of the Laurentian elite mindset that exists in that it's exists mostly in Ottawa that was never really uh, uh, germane in in this contest it really was uh, uh, I say a very strong endorsement of of not even a new direction but a continuation of the path that that Stephen Harper was on when he was the uh, uh, when he was the leader of the Conservative Party previously so I I never saw it as uh, I never saw the charade campaign as viable there was no evidence anywhere uh, that you could find that they were really putting up a good fight. Um, and uh, I uh, really think that this these decisions were made a long time ago about what the future of the Conservative Party was going to be. And they were just looking for, in, in their, from their perspective, who the right person was going to be. And for the moment, it seems to be a pure polyev. Laurie, in Atlanta, Canada, three of the four premiers identify as progressive conservative, which is a little different than polyev's conservatism. How does he make inroads there, or does he? Well, as you say, three of the four premiers are progressive conservative, but I would say that all of them in their own way, I mean, they they distance themselves, especially Tim Houston, from the federal conservatives, but they also see themselves as kind of post-partisan. They don't go in with a kind of partisan bent on anything. I think Tim Houston in Nova Scotia wants to be a premier for everybody. He wants, he's absolutely willing to abandon and shift around between positions. And that's, that's sometimes in response to public pressure. It's sometimes because the parties are so close together that there's not very much space between them. And so a shift from one policy to another is actually not very far. And I think, you know, someone like Dennis King, I heard him speak in Prince Edward Island this past weekend 
he talks about how he works with the opposition parties to be able to pull them together. And I've seen his budgets pass with almost unanimous support in the House. So it's it's interesting to look at the differences on a progressive conservative versus conservative lens. It's also interesting to look at what's happening politically in Atlantic Canada, which is actually quite different, I think, than what's going on in, at the federal level. As far as Pierre Polyev's popularity in Atlantic Canada, um, that would be a major climb. There would be a significant shift that would have to happen in order for him to become popular in that part of the country. That said, it might not matter because people are going to look at the candidate as people often do. Incumbency is a big deal in Atlantic Canada. So I, I don't know if he has to so much find a way to sell himself as he does find the right candidates to run in the ridings and look for the ones he can. he might be able to win. Uh, Warren, Pierre got had a pretty sizable victory on Saturday. He's embraced the convoy. He's embraced the anti-vax types. Is, is this a move to attract PPC, PPC supporters? And, and if so, can it backfire? Yeah, he's been doing that for a while. And full disclosure, I had the great fortune of being sued by Maxime Bernier and uh, beat him, defeated him. But um yeah, I think that's what he's been doing. It makes no sense to me because as we've talked about on your show before, um, you know, Trudeau crafted this deal with Singh and they kind of moved that operation over to the left and put up a whole bunch of political real estate in the middle that the Conservative Party could avail itself of. Because I certainly agree with what, what, uh, what uh, Daryl has said that you know, that old progressive conservative party that Laurie was talking about in Atlantic Canada kind of doesn't exist anymore. But I mean, politics is about opportunity. If your opponent vacates the center, it's in your interest to take some advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And it just, I find it bewildering that uh, Polyev, at least so far, has not only said he's not going to do that, he's against doing that. He's moving out to the right. So um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but, you know, we live in a weird time. So who knows? Maybe maybe you can pull it off. I don't think so, but maybe you can. Uh, Gary, unity is going to be job one for Pierre Polyev. And, and do you think it can be done or is it going to be a my way or the highway approach? Well, that's a good question. I think unity is already baked in with the result uh, the other night. You know, 68 percent. You know, Mr. Polyev did have almost half, I think just over half of the elected caucus of the Conservative Party. And even we saw people like uh, Mike Coates, who was the co-chair of the Charest campaign. We saw Joel Godin, who notoriously said he didn't know if he could sit in a Pierre Polyev caucus. All of them today are saying it's Pierre Polyev's party. I liked what I heard on, on uh, Saturday night in his speech, uh, some of the policy planks and some of the hope and opportunity versus some of the other messages that he had, where it's it's very clear with the result that, that unity is baked in here. And there is no leader uh, of the intra-party opposition to Polyev. You know, I said to people, Jean Charest is not going to stick around if he loses. He's going to go back to the private sector, uh, as, as he has every right to do. I give him full credit for putting his name forward and for standing up for the principles uh, he espoused. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, unity is baked into the result. Uh, and uh, it's the result that, frankly, I felt was almost inevitable from the start because it's what the caucus wanted uh, after two uh, leaders that had trouble communicating their way through it. Whether you like Pierre Polyev's message or not, he, to the caucus anyway, uh, is willing to stand up uh, and, and, and speak up for small C conservative principles. And frankly, I think that's what a lot of the caucus and a lot of the membership, including the new membership, were really looking for. They said, we tried it your way the last two uh, elections. It didn't work. Let's try Pierre's way. 
Uh, Daryl, what do you think? Is unity baked in with with you know such stirring uh, amount of support, or you know is that something that we're going to see down the line? Well, I think it is because I think the conservative movement in Canada has changed. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think you know when you go back to the history of the Conservative Party, the difference between conservatives and liberals, you know, it was basically just a color. I mean, one wore blue and one wore red. That's what John Ibbotson and I wrote about in The Big Shift. And Stephen Harper changed that equation. And the reason that the equation changed is because the geography of political victory in Canada changed. So with the growth of Western Canada, there's now more people in Canada who live west of the Ontario-Manitoba border than east of the Ontario-Manitoba border. Uh, inordinately now shifts, the, the, the political spectrum shifts more to the west and to the suburbs of Toronto. And as a result of that, the type of conservatism that, that seems to have more appeal, or at least did for Stephen Harper, and we'll see if it works for Pierre Polyev, will be one that has more of an edge to it. And, and more of a Western type of an orientation. And it's simply a matter of, of geography. The other thing that's happened is that the contextual variables, and I'm a big a proponent of standing back from the politics of the immediate uh, term that we're in and focusing exclusively on personalities. I think we way over torqued that kind of analysis and really focusing on the context in which the election, the next election will take place. And what we're looking at is very much a change election. I mean, we've had a government that's going to be running for its fourth election campaign uh, that's not popular in this country, regardless of what's happening on the opposition side of the agenda. So there's a lot that actually favors somebody who looks more emphatically like change than somebody who's just trying to be safe change. Safe change, I find to be something that political consultants and media observers like to put out there as though it's something that the average person understands. And when people are voting for change, as we saw, for example, in the uh, the provincial election, not the most recent one in Ontario, but the previous one, uh, Kathleen Wynne versus Doug Ford. And then we saw in the municipal election when Rob Ford won the election here in the city of Toronto, when people really want change, they they hit a big red button. You know, they they really want to have change. So I, I think we need to take more into account the structural context that we're moving into, but also the political geography of the country, which has really changed a lot over the space of the last 50 years. Uh, Laurie, it seems in these leadership races, candidates run to the edge. And, and then when they win, we talked about it, they move back to the middle or most considered most Canadians consider themselves. Uh, first off, do you expect Polyeb to move that way? Well, I think that the way he's campaigning during the leadership has left him a lot of space, not to have to pivot, but to just sort of back away a little bit from some of what he's talked about with respect to cryptocurrency and firing Tiff Maglum and things like that. He doesn't have to keep saying that stuff. He doesn't have to say he doesn't believe it anymore either. He can just sort of leave it there. And the stuff about freedom, he can easily map onto uh, messages about cost of living, quality of life, whether you are living the kind of life you want. And people can be left to interpret those messages the way they want. And he's, I think he's being cagey enough that he doesn't get pinned down easily. And I think the Liberals have totally missed an opportunity to push him and slam him a bit on reading between the lines and the language that he's using. So when he says plain language, what do you really mean? When you say freedom, what do you really mean? They're not, to me, they're not, they have not been effective at really holding him to account for the types of, of rhetoric that he's using. I don't think we're going to see a big pivot from him from at all. I don't think we're going to see an Aaron O'Toole thing. I think that he's in the right spot for the party. The Conservatives are in a good spot now. And if the Liberal NDP deal holds for a little while and Polyev doesn't make a mess, he'll have an opportunity to let people get to know him and wait for people to get tired of Trudeau, which they already are. 
Uh, Warren, you, you've run election uh, war rooms before. Are, are the liberals worried about a Polyev victory or are they salivating at uh, taking on him and some of his views? They're not worried. And uh, like, it's a target rich environment, guys. Like, you're all nice people, but I'm not a nice person. And like, so just like imagine for a second, we'll like, we'll craft an ad together. So I think you could do it in a 30, right? And it just starts off with, you know, Ottawa. 2022. And, you know, you start off with somebody defacing the statue of Terry Fox and somebody urinating on the war memorial, somebody screaming at people in the streets of Ottawa because they're wearing a mask and abuse and violence and vandalism. And then you just cut to a shot of Pierre Polyev sitting with those same people, having a good chuckle and smiling. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the, you know, what I do in campaigns is I tell stories and I tell stories about things people either have forgotten about or they don't know about. And this guy is an unknown quantity. For sure, conservatives feel they know him. But I'm telling you, I did, I did Stockwell Day. I did Campbell. This guy has got multiple vulnerabilities. And at a minimum, I think he is going to stampede new Democrats into voting liberal, whether Trudeau's there or not, because he has just got too many opportunities for the liberal war room to go after him. And I don't think they needed to do that during the election, the leadership campaign, because the liberals wanted him to stick around. He was a much better target for them than Sheree or Brown were. Hmm. Gary, does this did this leadership contest ever discuss policy or issues, or was it just dragged out in slogans and, and smear? I didn't hear a lot of discussion. Well, uh, to, to Warren's point earlier uh, about the campaign, I, I think frankly, it's the conservatives clearly want Mr. Polyev to be the leader, and, and I think uh, it's the battle that conservatives want, but it's also the battle that liberals want. They want this battle head to head with Pierre Polyev. I think they're salivating at it. Uh, I think they're raring to go, and I do think they have held their uh, their powder dry uh, in, in the in the short term because they think there is a target rich environment there. We'll see if if they can deliver on that. But I'm sure Mr. Polyev and his team are are uh, awaiting uh, those uh, those hits to come. But uh, to to your question, you know, I think you know Mr. Polyev had very broad strokes uh, during the leadership uh, on on policy issues, um, really focusing on big picture issues about you know cost of living, housing. Uh, you know, talking about the gatekeepers, getting the gatekeepers out will lower the cost of living. But I actually heard more in terms of substantive policy in his, uh, his, his victory speech on Saturday night than I frankly did hear all through the leadership campaign. You know, he talked about oil and gas and, and, and pipelines. We didn't talk about Alberta oil and gas pipelines. He talked about Newfoundland and Labrador. He had a big section in his speech en français about liquid natural gas in Quebec. Didn't talk about it anywhere else. En français. Uh, and made the pitch to Quebecers about making them uh, maitre chez nous on energy issues. So I did hear a lot more in that um, uh, in that speech, uh, more detailed uh, than I did uh, throughout much of the campaign. And we'll see how much that carries on, especially over the next uh, weeks and months. Uh, Daryl, the Liberals are propped up by by the NDP right now. And do you feel that arrangement will continue until 2025 to, to control the narrative or... Uh... Or, or is, is Jagmeet Singh on, on uh, tenderhooks right now? Oh, I think uh, Jagmeet Singh, although he, he, he never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> um, uh, I, uh, um, you know, NDP leaders uh, really have a choice now, right? So 
we've seen two different versions of the NDP. There's the, the Ed Broadbent version, which is the, I don't care if I lose as long as I'm the conscience of parliament in a minority administration. And then you saw the Jack Layton view, which was, I actually think I can displace the Liberal Party. Uh, Jagmeet Singh had the chance to be that, the progressive champion in the country, and he decided to you know, aim lower and become what he's become in, in this liberal administration. Uh, it will be interesting to see if the liberal numbers dr start dropping. So they're, if they're, uh, the liberals and the Tories are basically tied about now. So they're around both around 32 or something like that, uh, depending on the week that you look at the polling. It doesn't mean anything until we start seeing the, the effect of polio. But if we start to see the liberals dropping in terms of popular support, uh, it might be interesting to see if uh, Jagmeet Singh is, is, is really committed to this, this uh, relationship as he's, as he's indicating. And one other point I'd, I'd like to add, I, I'm not a big believer in campaign tactics. I think most of them are just basically uh, narratives that people tell themselves about the effect that they've had in campaigns. I don't, I don't think ads make that much of a difference the way that they used to. I mean, most of the examples that were just cited were 20 years ago. Um, I think that the, uh, the, the truth of what's going to happen in the next campaign is it's going to be a change in election, and it's really going to be about authenticity. It's really going to be about, is somebody authentically what they say that they are? And this is where Warren's point is, the, is absolutely spot on. The next battle is going to define the real Pierre Polyev. And yeah, some of it's going to be, you know, some of the stuff that's the easy pickings. But in some ways, that kind of makes him authentically a bit of a change. I think that the liberals have this view that everybody sees things the way that they see them. I don't think that that's the case. I saw the same campaign ran against, run against Stephen Harper in 2006 by the brainiacs that were all around Paul Martin, and it completely failed. So sometimes it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I saw the George Smitherman guys do the same thing to Rob Ford. I saw the Kathleen Wynne people, interestingly enough, the same people as the, as the Paul Martin people, uh, back in the, uh, when, when Doug Ford won the provincial election in this campaign. And I'm sure there's uh, many citations that we can give in this, given this group. The reason that those people won, even though the media and other people found them as unpalatable um, um, changes, is they were seen as authentic. And that's where Pierre Polyev has a chance here. If he can present himself as an authentic change, even though they've all these other things that are around him and he's going to have some explaining to do, as they say, um, uh, uh, he's in a better position than Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Shear were to really challenge the liberals. So I, I don't think he's as vulnerable as, as some of this analysis might suggest. Where does, uh, from your perspective, where does Quebec play into this right now? It, from my perspective, is yeah. the, the geography of Canadian politics has changed. It's not about Quebec anymore. Yeah. Uh, if if, uh, if uh, the, the Liberal Party and the Bloc Québécois split Quebec, it doesn't matter. Stephen Harper won a majority with five seats in Quebec. The whole battle is the seven or so seats that sit around the greater Toronto area. Aaron O'Toole came so close. He came so close. If he would have, uh, he, he split the difference overall in the province with the Liberals by by half. He reduced the, the lead by half from what Andrew Shear had. If he would have just picked up three, four, five more points in the 905, he would have won the most seats, not by a little, by a fairly large amount. Don't know if he would have been able to form the government, but he was that close. So the question is, can Pierre Polyev win that three, four, or five mm -hmm. in that place? What happens in Quebec, as long as the pattern on the ground remembers, remains the Liberals representing the Federalist option and the Bloc Québécois representing everybody else, it, it's all, it almost takes itself off the table in terms of forming the national government, unless it's the Liberals that are in the lead.
You know, Laurie, getting that extra three or 4% that Daryl talks about, you know, we, we, we talk about the middle of the political spectrum seems to be alienated right now and getting part of that would certainly help him. You know, I, I'm kind of wondering, has the middle moved to one side and, and the other, like just basically split to the other, and there's really not much of a middle anymore? I don't get that sense, actually. I don't think that's really true. I think that there is a a palpable sense of, of, I think, compassion and social capital, especially in the aftermath of COVID-19. I think people, I think if you're seeing a kind of some consensus existing around the center, the fact that the party system doesn't match it is a problem for the party system in terms of the responsiveness and the democratic check between what parties are doing and what the people want. If there's a gap there, that's an, an, an indication of a problem. And it also means that we see this amplification of fringe views now and not an appropriate filtering system in the middle to weed out the ideas that people actually don't support all that much, right? Like we're seeing ideas that are actually not super popular look very popular because there's not the middle to, you know, and the majority voice, not that the majority always gets it right, but there's not that kind of consensus around common sense to drown out some of the ideas that are actually not, not great. And so I don't know. I mean, I think it raises some questions around the relevance of formal politics. It raises questions around whether people really see formal politics as offering any solutions to their problems. I think that Tim Houston and, and Doug Ford and some others are onto something when they try to pitch, pitch messages that are not really partisan. And they're more about being some sort of response to whatever is plaguing the, the population at the time. Uh, you know, uh, Warren, I, I, I'm wondering, uh, in turn, we asked the question, do you think uh, Pierre Polyev Conservative Party could, could uh, win the next federal election? And I guess right off the bat, do you think that that's a possibility? Well, sure. Weird things happen. Joe Clark became <laughs> prime minister and defeated, you know, Pierre Trudeau. Yeah, weird stuff can happen. But, um, you know, I, I regard Polyev as a vulnerable candidate. You know, I'm no fan of Justin Trudeau, as you guys know. But I think, you know, Polyev's the wrong guy to get him out. I think, you know, the Conservative Party has underestimated Trudeau three elections in a row, including with their deity, Stephen Harper. And, you know, Trudeau's beaten them. Hmm. Trudeau's figured out that Daryl's point is, you know, he doesn't need 100%. He just needs what he needs to win. And so last time, you know, he called the election that nobody wanted or needed, but he zeroed in on the gun piece in the Tory platform. He zeroed in on the anti-vax lunatics in the Tory caucus, and it got him when he needed with suburban women, you know, in the 905 area that, that Daryl described. So, like, I think Canadians are going to be finding stuff out about this guy that they're not going to like. And does it in view emerging that the center doesn't exist. The center does exist. I was campaigning for the Democrats in the States just a couple of weeks ago in a Republican stronghold, you know, the Bush's mm. stronghold in Maine. And what I was getting at the doors is January 6th and the, you know, the efforts to overturn the election. So that kind of right-wing radicalism and the abortion piece. And Biden may have been heading for a slaughter in November in the midterms. He's not anymore because that conservative party, the Republican party went too far to the right. And my view is that's 
what's happened with the Conservative Party of Canada. I understand they feel that, you know, Sheer and, and O'Toole were mush, mushy. I don't think they were. I think they were decent men, but they've gone too far to the right. And now they've got a great distance to run back. And I don't think it's going to be credible. Gary, do you there, think that? Do, sorry, do you can I just say? Can sure. I just say one quick thing? Yeah, no just, problem. Uh, and then uh, over to Gary. I'll shut up. Sure. Uh, um, let me challenge that. Um, that's not what happened in the election. I mean, we were tracking. I'm not going to use my opinion. I'll just use data. Uh, what happened in the federal election? Hardly anything moved on policy. People were really paying that much attention to it. It wasn't an ideological battle at all. What happened was. Aaron O'Toole was not able to convince in the last two weeks of that campaign people that he was actually going to win. That was the problem. He was not seen as a compelling candidate. He was not seen as somebody who was ready for that office. He was not able to create any type of bandwagon. So what happened was his voters didn't show up or they voted for the, the, for the People's Party because there was a free shot because Trudeau was going to win anyway. That's what happened in the campaign. As far as the U.S. is concerned, he's still going to take a pounding. The numbers haven't changed. In the United States, I mean, this is the narrative that comes out of the New York Times and the Washington Post. Uh, uh, Biden's numbers are ter terrible. I just looked at our polling; we were in every day for Axios. He's still below forty percent in terms of his approval level. And the issues that are really motivating for the left in that campaign are well down the list in what motivates the general population in the United States. So I don't think that you know public policy is going to be the big driver of what happens in this campaign. I think it's going to be authenticity and a feel. Does somebody actually represent the type of change that Canadians are prepared to accept? That's going to be the campaign. Anyway, Gary, I'll shut up now. Sorry, Warren, I'm cutting you off. Too. <laughs> and Laurie, I apologize too. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, far be it for me to get in between a fight between Daryl Brooker and Warren itself. Oh, we're not fighting. Uh, we, we don't. No, no, no. Don't. <laughs> I'm right. Uh, he's wrong. He, it's, it's okay. <laughs> that's if that's how you see it, Warren. Okay. Yeah, look, I mean, I, like, I think this is the great debate is that I, I agree. I think there is a center. Um, and I think with polarization in Canadian politics, where you have a, both a liberal party, which is polarized more than left and a conservative party that is now more on the right side, um, where they've clearly staked out ground, um, there will be a battle for the uh for the center vote, but it's not going to be in your traditional, like, you know, mushy middle of the ground politics. It's going to be on those authenticity questions. And like, clearly uh, Mr. Polio thinks that, you know, his, his hope and opportunity message and getting government out of your life is going to attract that sliver enough to, to, uh, to get over the edge. Uh, and as long as well as attracting some of those uh, PPC voters that, that, that may have voted conservative in the past may come back. And I think Mr. Trudeau thinks the same thing that he can eke out enough of a micro targeted group of people uh, in key ridings across the country, and especially in the GTA uh, to pull that, uh, pull it across. And so that ba battle will be for that group group of voters in the middle and those, those key seats. Uh, but uh, I think we're, I don't think we're in an election anytime soon, i.e. this fall, but you know, we'll see how long the deal lasts uh, between Singh and Trudeau. And it could be, maybe as early as the uh, spring budget. Well, folks, uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Great discussion uh, here on Unpublished TV. Joining us today, Daryl Bricker, CEO, Ipsos Public Affairs. Warren Kinsella, political commentator, former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Laurie Turnbull, the director of School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Gary Kellers with Strategy Corp and former chief of staff to John Baird and Rana Ambrose. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.